On this episode, we talk about lottery tickets, identity capital, and if 30 is truly the new 20. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of the Millennial Grind podcast. I'm Chris Naff. And I'm Nicholas Scalise. And how are you doing this week, Mr. Scalise? Pretty good. It's been a busy week, but uh, it's not over yet. <laughs> it's just begun. Feels like it's the, uh, I did a lot of work over the weekend, so they all, you know, just blends in. One day blends into the next. How about did you? Did you have any fun over the weekend? Fun. Let's let, let me think. Actually, we went to a fundraiser uh, for the Boy Scouts. It was a spaghetti dinner at our church. And so that was a lot of fun. We went there last year for the first time. And it's like an all-you-can-eat spaghetti dinner. Um, They bring out the spaghetti. They have like meat sauce, marinara sauce. It's pretty cool. And, you know, it's a good way to support the Boy Scouts. And it's like their number one fundraiser. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, Mike. I I did Boy Scouts at a young age, or Cub Scouts. I don't even think I made it the Boy Scouts, but my cousins uh, made it all the way to Eagle Scout. Both two of my cousins um, so far, and we always went to the spaghetti dinners. Always a good time. Yeah. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh this weekend I oh I bought a smoker. I bought a. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> last week we smoked fish, and it it came wow. out okay. We made some fish dip with it. And then this week we stepped up our game and smoked ribs. So wow. that was our big project over the weekend. So that was, it came out, not to brag, pretty decent. So I'm trying to uh, refine my skills there. There's a science to that, right? What do they call it? You got to do do it low and slow. Is that? Low and slow. It takes like five hours to do. So, wow. and that doesn't include prep, um, but it, it came out okay. I think I'm going to try to do more of that. Are you putting in like the hickory chips or all those? Yeah. Yeah. So you have the fire box or the smoke box, whatever it's called. And you have the charcoals there burning. And then on top of that, you have soaked wood chips and we were using cherry wood. Nice. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm learning as I go. I look up a lot of videos on YouTube to see what everybody else does. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. You know, you know, I just do what they tell me and it comes out. All right. Yeah. All right. So we have, I think, a pretty interesting topic of discussion. The idea that is 30 the new 20? If not, why? And what I wanted to go over was this TED Talk I stumbled upon by a woman named Meg Jay. And I don't want to get her... I don't want to get her title wrong, so I just want to read her bio from the TED website says clinical psychologist Meg Jay has a bold message for 20 somethings. Contrary to popular belief, your twenties are not a throwaway decade in this provocative talk. Jay says that just because marriage work and kids are happening later in life doesn't mean you can't start planning. Now she gives three pieces of advice for how 20 somethings can reclaim adulthood in the defining decade of their lives. That's a pretty bold statement, right? So the the spot we're going to jump to, and we're going to try to get the audio as best we can, is she's talking about 
the idea that 20s are not simply an extended adolescence. So let's hear what she has to say. Just bear with me a second as I get this set up. So when we think about child development, we all know that the first five years are a critical period for language and attachment in the brain. It's a time when your ordinary day-to-day -day life has an inordinate impact on who you will become. But what we hear less about is that there's such a thing as adult development, and our 20s are that critical period of adult development. But this isn't what 20-somethings are hearing. Newspapers talk about the changing timetable of adulthood. Researchers call the 20s an extended adolescence. Journalists coined silly nicknames for 20-somethings like Twixters and Cadults. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> As a culture, we have trivialized what is actually the defining decade of adulthood. Leonard Bernstein said that to achieve great things, you need a plan and not quite enough time. <laughs> Isn't that true? So what do you think happens when you pat a 20-something on the head and you say you have 10 extra years to start your life? Nothing happens. You have robbed that person of his urgency and ambition, and absolutely nothing happens. Pretty provocative thought there. What's, yep. your, what's your reaction? Well, she brings up some good points. I would definitely agree that uh, you need to make the most of your 20s. Um, and I guess for both of us, we can only really speak from personal experience. I feel like I'm, I'm fast approaching 30. I'm going to be 29 in a couple weeks. I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, <dang. laughs> We're doing a whole show about uh, 20. <laughs> definitely on my mind. And so like, I've always just been like, I need to be situated in life by the time I'm 30. And I still, I know I'm not there yet. So it's definitely, I think it's just a lot has to do with your personal mindset. And I've definitely met millennials and 20 somethings who have that mindset of, oh, that's okay. I can coast. I can, you know, just right. you know, live at home into my late twenties, early thirties. I'll be fine. The world will catch up to me. I'll fit in. Uh, but I've also met people that hustle at a very young age, even in their teens, you know, in their late teens, they're, they're already starting businesses and they're doing some big things. So I think it's definitely a lot to do with your mindset, but you know, those big decisions that you make in your twenties are definitely going to help you uh, get into that right mindset. Once you start making these decisions, like both of us, I mean, we, we bought our first house in our twenties. Right. And that's a huge decision. So yeah, I, I would agree with, with her. What about you? I, yeah, I think you brought up really great points. Um, I, I always look forward to this time of my life ever since you know, probably junior high, I couldn't wait to be done. <clears throat> I, you know, of course, I was looking forward. High school was something I looked forward to, and I had a great experience. College was something I looked forward to, and I had a great experience. But really, I was always looking forward to this point of my life so I could do the kind of things we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think she's absolutely right in that this really is a time for adult development, not extended adolescence. And I think it's very easy to think, well, 
30 is the new 20. People are getting married later. They're having kids later. I can just, as you say, coast. And mm -hmm. I just think that's a, a really big mistake. Not to say you have to get married earlier or start having kids earlier. You can still wait for the right moment for you later in life. But that doesn't mean it's not that's not parallel to well, that's not synonymous with hitting a snooze button throughout your 20s. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely certain things you can't do in, you know, if you're just starting at 30 than if you were 20. Uh, but I, I would also say it's important to make a distinction between the different uh, parts of your 20s. So, for instance, the, the years that you're in college, maybe, you know, in your 20s, that would be what, like 20 to 22, somewhere around there for a traditional student. For me, it was a couple of years later than that. Uh, but for, you know, that, those first few years of your 20s, when you're in college, if you go that traditional route, I think it's a little bit different than post-college because post-college, yeah. everything just seems to speed up. You like the pedal to the metal stuff's getting real. It's no more, no more fun and games. So when you're in college, I think there's still an acceptable um, notion that you can coast a little bit because, hey, you're in college. You can't graduate any quicker than, you know, it, it's still going to take you a certain amount of time because you got to go to class, you got to, you know, right. all the hoops. So there is a distinction to be made between your college years in your twenties. But then I don't know how it was for you, but I remember when I graduated, things just like really, really sped up. Um, and that's, <laughs> that was a very big transformational period. Yeah, I agree. I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna be, I hate to use the word foolish or stupid because I think that gets overused. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a slight, a slight extension of adolescence, the very early twenties or the very beginning of college is the time to do it. But you know, as you start to prepare, really, when you start to prepare for life after college, whether that's whether you're preparing, whether you're going to be graduating in your early 30s or early 20s or mid 20s, as you start to get ready for life after college, you really have to be thinking about, you know, what Meg J, the clinical psychologist, was talking about. Absolutely. So, in addition to the TED talk, we also stumbled upon an article that I found on Quartz. But it was originally appeared on a pretty cool website that I didn't know about until recently called Wait But Why. Hmm, never and, heard of it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and the article on waitbutwhy.com is called Why Generation Y Yuppies Are Unhappy. And the article on Quartz was re reworded into why people un under 35 are so unhappy. Interesting. They so it's the same article with two titles. <laughs> yeah, that that happens sometimes when it's when it's republished. You know, yeah. um, it's it looks like it looks like Wait But Why is using Quartz as a distribution platform to get more eyeballs on their content. Um, but I think it's a pretty compelling article, and it kind of uses uh, a bit of humor. They have a stick figure girl drawn, and they call her Lucy, and they walk Lucy through the beginning stages of her life and I'll read, um, I'll read the intro because I think they do a really good job of explaining where a lot of people in the millennial generation get start. Like it does a good job of explaining their starting point, 
but then shows why the starting point might actually be wrong from the very get-go. Hmm. So it says, Lucy is part of Generation Y, the generation born between the late 1970s and the mid-1990s. She's also part of a yuppie, cult, a yuppie culture that makes up a large portion of Generation Y. I have a term for yuppies in the Generation Y group. I, gen- I call them Generation Y protagonists and special yuppies or gypsies. A gypsy is a unique brand of yuppie, one who thinks they are the main character of a very special story. So Lucy is enjoying her gypsy life, and she's very pleased to be Lucy. Only issue is this one thing. Lucy's kind of unhappy. To get to the bottom of why, we really need to define what makes someone happy or unhappy in the first place. And it comes down to a simple formula. Happiness equals reality minus expectations. It's pretty straightforward. When the reality of someone's life is better than they had expected, they're happy. When reality turns out to be worse than the expectations, they're unhappy. And I think that, and that seems pretty obvious, right? Right. So what I think the, the crux of this issue is the same issue that the clinical psychologist Meg Jay was talking about, where our expectations of what life can be are vastly different from the reality of what they probably should be. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm just wondering how much social media has to do with that. And so both of us working in marketing, you obviously working a lot closer with social media than me. What what do you think about the fact that, you know, you, you see articles about, oh, well, this isn't real life, the stuff people are sharing on Instagram. There was just a couple weeks ago, some Instagram celebrity, I guess, you know, canceled everything, deleted everything and said, oh, it's not real life. It's not an accurate portrayal of my life. It's not. I'm not happy because of it because everything is so scripted and everything has to be so perfect for the photos. So like, do you think that because of the, this generation, generation Y is exposed to more content that makes everything look so perfect that maybe that's influencing negatively influencing our perception of what reality actually is. I think the problem is derived from something much bigger than social media. If anything, social media only marginally exasperates the problem. I do think what you see a lot of on social, as far as what people are sharing are their highlight reels. Mm -hmm. So a lot that leaves a lot of people who see the, you know, whatever the updates are that people are sharing, they only see what, every what that person wants you to see and then they start comparing someone else's highlight reel to their faults right that might that is definitely that definitely has the potential to lead to serious unhappiness but i think what i think the idea of happiness equals reality minus expectations that has happened before social media and that will happen you know that will happen in the future, no matter what we or how involved we are with social media. Mm-hmm. So I really think it gets back to the idea that the what the people in the courts are, or the um, 
the wait but why article the the argument they make is that a lot of people in this generation were made to believe that inherently they're special and that the future is going to be great for them just because of who they are mm-hmm. um and there's an interesting phrase or word and i don't want to butcher it but you know what the word paranoia means you <laughs> feel like something's going to go wrong mm-hmm. right Right. The opposite of paranoia is the idea of pronoia. And I don't want to butcher that word. So if there are, are any grammar experts out there, I apologize. But the idea of pronoia is just because of you being you, great things are going to happen in your life. And I think, uh, again, I'd be interested to read studies on this. I wouldn't be surprised if this generation has a tendency to be more to be more susceptible to pronoia than paranoia because we talked about this at one of our beginning episodes. We kind of are the participation trophy generation. Oh yes. And I think this kind of ties into that. Meaning a lot of us were led to believe is if all, if we just participate, if we go to, if we do well in high school and we do well in our SATs, we'll get into a good school and we get into that good school, we'll graduate, do well, and get a good job and have a and have a great future. And that's all we need to do. Mm-hmm. That's the formula. And I think the formula to that was extremely wrong for a lot of us because you just can't participate. I think you have to be a bit more proactive. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that that formula of go to school, go to college, get a degree, get a good job, stay there for 40 years, retire, get a pension, you know, live in your nice little white picket fence house everything's perfect. That was passed down from the greatest generation because that worked for them. After World War II, many people went to college, got good jobs. The economy was doing pretty good for a while. And so it worked at the time. But that is a different concept than the concept of you are special. It was, that's almost the opposite because that was the concept of fall in line, get your degree like everyone else go work on the assembly line or you know get a a, get an office job and it was yeah you're going to be taken care of and you're going to have a comfortable life but it wasn't a you are special you are different do something unique mindset that was passed down from the greatest generation it was more a fall in line and everything will work out for you mindset so what i'm wondering is where did the idea of you are special you are unique you're different you can do anything um, where did that idea come from? And what are your thoughts on, on those two different uh, frames of mind? I actually think they're more similar because the idea of you being special me- means if you're inherently special, right? Mm-hmm. If pronoia truly does exist for a person, they can do what everybody else does, but they'll still have better outcomes. Hmm. You know what I mean? So... I think, you know, in, in the Wait But Why article really does poke fun at the character Lucy for, you know, pretending she's spe- thinking she's special and thinking life is just going to be a bunch of rainbows and unicorns and things like that. Right. Um, but, but I think, I, I think, um, I think the idea of that you can be special. And someone can be special, but Peter Thiel talks about this idea. And Peter Thiel, 
for those who are unaware, founded PayPal, founded Palantir, was the first outside investor to Facebook, and he wrote a book called Zero to One. And the whole premise of the book is to do something new, you have to create something new and actually go from zero to one instead of you know opening the thousandth restaurant in your city or <laughs> starting the next the next social network. That's going from one to n, one mm-hmm. to many. Zero to one is start doing something new. Uh, and his his idea is one of the ideas in the book is you're not a lottery ticket, meaning just because you woke up one day doesn't mean you're going to succeed. And I think that ties in a little bit to the wait but why article about why people our age are unhappy because I think our expectations or reality so far is falling short of our expectations. And I think it ties even back further to what Meg Jay was saying. And I think a lot of the reasons are reality has fell short of our expectations is we're not doing, you're not putting in the work at the very age where it's the best time to put in the work. You know what hmm. I mean? It's interesting. And so what do you think is the natural outcome of that? If you're not, if you're not taking advantage of the time you have now, mm-hmm. you're going to be unhappy at 35. Hmm. You know what I mean? And is there, do you think that, let's say that you do miss out on really seizing the moment and making the best of your twenties. Do you think that it's, uh, is it able to be changed in your thirties? Like, do you still have a second chance in your thirties or once you hit your thirties and you haven't really defined yourself using your years of your twenties, do you think it's pretty much a, an uphill battle to sort of reinvent yourself? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you look at the founder of KFC, he started when he was like 59, Mm -hmm. Colonel Sanders. I think he was 59 when he came up with the idea of KFC. I think Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, was, uh, I think, beyond 40. Uh, I think the guy, one of the vodka brands, I forget which one, one of the vodka brands, the founder, got started late, late in his life, um, and he was, you know, phenomenally successful. So I think it can happen, but I also think you're just gonna those that. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Oh yeah, there's definitely outliers. Um, there's right. a few others. Isn't the the Game of Thrones author, or <laughs> George R. R. Martin? I think he. Yeah, he didn't really get his big break until very late in life. So the author of Harry Potter, she was already uh, a single mother, you know, like practically on welfare. I don't I don't know how old she was, but I don't think she was 22 when that when she started writing that, you know. Yeah. So I wouldn't uh, you know, if if I was listening to this and I was in my 30s, mid 30s, early 30s, whatever, I wouldn't want to get discouraged and say, oh, you know, I'm lost. I'm it's not going to you know, I'm just going to be <laughs> stuck. I'm never going to be able to reinvent myself. I definitely think there's still an opportunity. And no matter what age you are, you need to make the best of the moment you're in and the tools and the resources you have. But if you're in your 20s and you're listening to it, to this, I think there's a lot that you can do that looking back at what we've done, I would have done things differently. And 
you know, there's a lot of things that you can take advantage of in your 20s that you really can't. For instance, I think one of the biggest opportunities is internships because, you know, you really can't go find the perfect internship when you're in your 30s because you need to usually you need to make um, a more significant income. You're a little bit more stuck wherever you are in life in terms of location. But in your 20s, if you find a good internship, that can usually be something that opens up so many doors. And there's a lot of great opportunities out there that only really make sense if you're sort of not tied down, you don't need a very significant income at that portion of the time, and you're willing to sort of experience new things and get to travel. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree generally because I think you re- life isn't an experiment you can run a second time. And that's why I think it's important to really understand what the TED Talk is speaking to and what this article is speaking to. Because I think a lot of people, if they if they think, oh, I'll just figure everything out when I'm 30, they're going to be kicking themselves. Because if they do figure it out then, they're going to wish they did it a lot earlier. Right. You know? So I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm 24. I don't have all the answers. But I, I want to figure them out. And I'm trying to do that as we speak. Because I don't want to get to 30 and think, man, what did I do the last <laughs> eight years? Six yeah, years, ahead of the curve, so yeah. you got plenty of years to figure it out. And and I think you do too, to your point, because it's to the the, the Colonel Sanders example. It's never too late, and I mm-hmm. think the magic really is in the middle there. Absolutely. So I wanted to get to, uh, so we've kind of really established what these two the the video and the article are speaking to and both have an interesting take on what to do if you realize this is a good general this is an important time in your life to try to execute on so first the psychologist gives you know three tips of, of how to make sure you're not wasting your 20s and then the article from wait but why has three tips on um you know what, what to do and, and how to actually be happy and not have reality fall short of your expectations. So I, I want to go through that, Mr. Scalise, and then I want to get your thoughts and see if you have any ideas of your own. So let's let me see it. if I can get the audio right. And we'll, we'll link to the show notes uh, to the video if anyone listening wants to watch the video. Okay. And just to give everyone context, um, she is speaking about, she had a client come in and the client was having an identity crisis because she felt her 20s were were going to be wasted if she didn't do something different. So these are the three tips she had for her client and three tips she had for all 20-somethings. So over the next weeks and months, I told Emma three things that every 20-something, male or female, deserves to hear. First, I told Emma to forget about having an identity crisis and get some identity capital. By get identity capital, I mean do something that adds value to who you are. Do something that's an investment in who you might want to be next. 
I didn't know the future of Emma's career and no one knows the future of work, but I do know this, identity capital begets identity capital. So now is the time for that cross country job, that internship, that startup you wanna try. I'm not discounting 20 something exploration here, but I am discounting exploration that's not supposed to count. Which by the way is not exploration, that's procrastination. I told Emma to explore work and make it count. Second, I told Emma that the urban tribe is overrated. Best friends are great for giving rides to the airport, but 20-somethings who huddle together with like-minded peers limit who they know, what they know, how they think, how they speak, and where they work. That new piece of capital, that new person to date, almost always comes from outside the inner circle. New things come from what are called our weak ties, our friends of friends of friends. So yes, half of 20-somethings are un or underemployed, but half aren't, and weak ties are how you get yourself into that group. Half of new jobs are never posted, so reaching out to your neighbor's boss is how you get that unposted job. It's not cheating, it's the science of how information spreads. Last but not least, Emma believed that you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. Now this was true for her growing up, but as a 20 something soon, Emma would pick her family when she partnered with someone and created a family of her own. I told Emma the time to start picking your family is now. Now you may be thinking that 30 is actually a better time to settle down than 20 or even 25. And I agree with you, but grabbing whoever you're living with or sleeping with when everyone on Facebook starts walking down the aisle is not progress. The best time to work on your marriage is before you have one. Okay, so the, the rest of the TED Talk and most of the TED Talk is about relationships, but what are your thoughts on those three tips? The first being forget about having an identity crisis and start developing identity capital. Second of which, urban tribes are overrated and you should avoid surrounding yourself with too many like-minded people or mm -hmm. only with like-minded people. And then the time to start picking your family is now. Yeah, those are great, great tips, especially the first one um, where she mentioned, oh, go there. Sorry. No problem. So the first one I think is pretty cool because it is the twenties, your twenties are the time where you can experiment and try different things, but you should make them count. So, you know, looking back on something that I did was I uh, was working on an app in my, in my twenties um, yeah. with, um, with some folks from FAU and it didn't end up becoming a popular app. It, it failed miserably, but I learned so much from it going through that process that I don't regret it. So I think that's a good example of something that even though it ended up failing, it was a learning experience. It taught me about project management, taught me about app development, taught me about, you know, some of the best things I've ever learned about marketing that I still use today. Yep. It was from that entire process and dealing with others and finding uh, freelancers and just all the legal stuff you need to form a company. So you definitely should experiment and try different things in your 20s 
Um, me, I'm always looking at it from like a business perspective. So startups are a great thing to get involved with, but you want to make it count. So that's the main differentiator and you don't want it to hurt you later in life. So I think that's also as equally important as trying to make it count. You also want to uh, mitigate or limit the risk that it could end up negatively impacting you maybe financially or maybe um, your um, you know, you don't want your name to be tarnished because of something you're connected with in your 20s. So you got to be careful about it, but definitely your 20s is the time where you can really do that. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. And I really like her idea of identity capital. And I, that's what I think the whole point of our conversation is. This is probably the perfect time to establish identity capital, who you are and what you're going to be about for the rest of your life. You know, you know, and, and her idea of urban tribes are overrated. I think she brings up a good point of not being surrounded by too many like-minded people, but I do think it's important to be surrounded by some like-minded people, people of the same level of ambitions, might have this similar goals to you, and that you know, I think is important. But her point of meeting different people can expand your horizons. So I think that's a balance you have to strike. Um, so a really interesting talk. I would encourage anyone who is listening to check out her full TED Talk. You can go to TED.com. It's Meg J. Why 30 is not the new 20. Pretty provocative. I always was. I always just went along with the assumption that 30 was the new 20. And this really opened my eyes to why that probably shouldn't be the case. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the important takeaway is what can someone in their 20s do right now if they hear this talk, they're inspired by it, uh, but what are some real specific pieces of advice that you would give them? One that I'll just throw out there is, I think, you know, in addition to getting an internship and trying, trying to figure something out with an internship, is if you're interested in a specific career field, let's say you're interested in marketing, your 20s is a great time to go get the experience that you might not be able to get later in life. For instance, working at an agency or working in a sales position, maybe one of those jobs where you feel it's it's going to be really tough, but you know, you're going to have the best opportunity to learn and to grow. Those are the type of opportunities you should go after in your 20s. Yeah, I, those are really great points. The the authors of the article, Why Generation Y Yuppies Are Unhappy, they say similar to, to what, well, similar in theory. Uh, the first is stay wildly ambitious. The second is stop thinking you're special. And the third is ignore everybody else. <laughs> And what, what I would say, similar to, to what you were saying, is you do have to pursue opportunities. And I think that's what Peter Thiel was talking about when he's saying you're not a lottery ticket. Mm -hmm. And it's much better to be – it's much better to have definite optimism versus indefinite optimism. Indefinite optimism is a critique on modern society in the sense that we think the world is just going to get better naturally and we – you know, we don't, we don't have to worry because things are just going to get better. But definite optimism is the result of 
you pursuing something to make it better. So you're more confident that things will get better because you know exactly what ne needs to be done to make right. things better. Do it. So identifying opportunities in the definite optimism realm, I think is important. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, two of my heroes are Ted Williams and Warren Buffett. And I know Mr. Scalise, you probably know who Warren Buffett is, but I know you are not a sports buff. So Ted Williams was an outfielder. <laughs> Ted Williams, Ted Williams was an outfielder for the Red Sox in the 40s, 50s, and in 1960. And he's arguably the greatest hitter who ever lived. Mm. Warren Buffett, of course, is arguably the greatest investor who's ever lived. Yep. And though hitting a round ball with a round bat at 95 miles an hour is much different than analyzing an annual report and deciding whether or not to invest in a company, these two men, their, their fields were vastly different. Mm -hmm. But their approach is actually very, very similar. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they are arguably the best in their respective field. Mm -hmm. Ted Williams wrote a book, The Science of Hitting. Mm -hmm. And in that book, he laid out, he drew the strike zone. And in that strike zone, he filled it with baseballs and color-coded them with the average he had when he swung at a pitch at that particular location. Oh, wow. So in for those who played baseball and softball for a left-handed hitter middle in so middle of the strike zone and in a little bit towards the batter that was ted williams sweet spot so color-coded those balls color-coded were he were like red dark red pink almost like a burgundy color and his average there was 350 400 so four out of four out of the 10 times the pitch was thrown there he'd get a hit out other parts of the strike zone, up and away and down and away, the balls were like white or like a bluish tint, light blue, because he didn't hit as well up there. So he really knew where his sweet spot was in the strike zone. So his approach, even though hitting arguably is the toughest thing to do in all of sports, his approach was very, very simple. And that was wait for his pitch to hit, i.e., <laughs> wait for his pitch in his sweet spot of his strike zone. Warren Buffett has the exact same approach. Warren Buffett focuses on what he calls his circle. That's not the mic here, sorry. His circle of competence, meaning he only looks for businesses in, in things that he understands. Mm -hmm. So during the tech booms of the 90s, a lot of guys on Wall Street and in Boston and in Silicon Valley were making a ton of money. And a lot of people criticize Buffett for being too old to make the new money in the quote unquote new economy. And then it all collapsed and a bunch of VC guys in New York, San Francisco lost their shirts and Warren Buffett didn't lose a penny from the tech. Well, I mean, the economy went down. So other valuations of his business went down, but he didn't lose at all when others did because he didn't go outside his circle of competence. So I think, to know your sweet spot of the strike zone and to know, and I know I'm kind of ranting here or pontificating, but I'll, I'll bring it full circle. To know your circle of competence or your sweet spot of your strike zone really requires what our, our boy Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about, and that's self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And when you become self-aware, and that's, that is tough, and I don't, think, I don't think that's necessarily easy for a lot of 20-somethings to understand. And I'm not saying I'm fully self-aware. I think that's something we all should develop over time. Mm 
But when you do develop some level of self-awareness, you should be able to identify your strengths and your weaknesses. And like Gary says, I think you, if you go all in on your strengths and not give a shit about what you suck at, you'll be much better off. Ted Williams didn't swing at pitches. He didn't like that, that, that was not his strength. His strength was his sweet spot. Warren Buffett, his strength is his circle of competence. So I think once you understand what you're really good at, I think the next thing you should do or start to identify in your 20s is what you might have a a significant interest in or a passion for. And you might not know what your passion is right away, but maybe you have a strong interest in something and that might become a passion. And I think if you can find, and it's, I think it's actually very, very difficult to do this because I don't think I've found this yet. If you can find the intersection of your strengths, your sweet spot of the strike zone or your circle of competence, where that intersects with your passion, I think that is the number one opportunity to pursue in your early career, in your 20s or as a millennial. And then once you have that, I think throughout that course of finding where that intersection is and pursuing that, you're going to hear, I think, a lot of detractors. And sometimes I think you'll find, you'll hear detractors from, you'll, you'll hear criticism from unanticipated sources. Mm-hmm. So I think to, to the article from, I want to get the site right, Wait But Why, their last point is ignore everyone else. And that gets to the point of, you know, those who mind don't matter and those who don't those who matter don't mind yep. and or said very simply ignore the booze they come from the cheap seats mm-hmm. so if throughout your 20s if you can develop those three things finding what your strengths are seeing what your passion is and looking for that intersection of those two ideas and then ignoring other people and the, and their potential criticism I think that will give you the best overall chance of not being unhappy at 35. Yeah, and and I totally agree with all that. And the only two that I might add that I think would agree with um, what the TED speaker was talking about is you would also at the same time try to build up your network. Um, Because I think some people might get a little confused when you say, like, ignore the haters. They might think, okay, just focus on you. But no, I think you you would totally agree with this. You still need yeah. to build up your network of people um, and relationships, and and I don't see that happening very often, unfortunately. And you know, use the different tools at your disposal to do it. Like I'm really surprised that a lot of college kids are still getting taught how to perfect their resume, but they're not getting taught how to um, get on LinkedIn and set up a profile. And it just baffles me that in 2015, almost 2016, we're not all in on your resume is dead. You are your resume. You're when people Google your name, that's your resume. When they, right. And when they go find you on LinkedIn, that's your resume. When they um, look at all the, the social activity that you're posting on pretty much any network out there that's public, that's your new resume. It's what you do. It's not this perfectly sculpted document that you've scanned and reviewed and had other people critique. No, that's not what represents you and who you are and what you do. So, I think that's very important. First of all, is you got to build up your network. And you and the second one was you have to build that new resume. 
in your 20s, not the paper one. If you need to do the paper one for the formalities because they won't interview you for a job if you don't have it, do it. But that's not the one you should focus on. Your resume is um, what you are representing yourself to be online, what others have represented you to be. Uh, it's the testimonials from other people who can vouch for you. So I think those are two other uh, things I would add to, to your list. Yeah, I think those are great points. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So five things. Yeah, there we go. All right. I think that's a wrap. Were there any other last thoughts you had, Mr. Scalise? No, I think we covered some pretty deep topics today, and I hope a lot of uh, 20-somethings can listen to this and get some value out of it because – I wish I could have had a podcast like this to listen to when I was 21, 22. Yeah. Looking back, it looks a lot easier, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot of good people out there like Meg J who are trying to educate 20 somethings about, you know, what they should be doing if they really want to make the best of not only their twenties, but their thirties and beyond. I agree, sir. So coming up on potentially the next episode, I don't know when this show will go live, but I will be traveling to Massachusetts for Thanksgiving, my favorite time of year, my favorite holiday, and my favorite place. So we might be able to squeeze in a show next week. I hope so. If we can, uh, haven't officially confirmed, but our next guest uh, is someone I'm really excited about. He's an entrepreneur down here in South Florida. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with him. Uh, but we'll keep everyone posted, of course. And uh, Mr. Scalise, I, I hope you have a great week. I will uh, keep you posted on our next show. And for all the listeners out there, if you have any topics, ideas, or uh, thoughts of your own, and you want to share it with us, reach out to us on Twitter at Millennial Grind. Yeah, and you can also get the show notes with links to some of the resources that we covered today at millennialgrind.com. Very cool. All right, Mr. Scalise. Okay, well, everyone, thanks for listening. Have a great week.